Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Having strong digital identity is becoming increasingly important. It's at the root of trust and the foundation for the Internet of Things, uh, the digital world, even the physical world, where identity fraud uh, and uh, uh, bad behavior uh, result from this lack of uh, an accountable digital identity. In this episode of Mr. Beacon, we're talking to Ramesh Kesanapali, who is one of the co-founders of the Accountable Digital Identity Association. He's also CEO of Digital Trust Networks, one of the companies that uh, is implementing this standard that's being adopted some, by some very large players in the healthcare industry and elsewhere. He's also the founder of the FIDO Alliance. So very knowledgeable, right at the center of it. And we get some time with him to bring us up to speed on something that is going to become increasingly important to anyone that is designing digital services in any form. Hope you enjoy it. The Mr. Beacon podcast is sponsored by Williot. Intelligence for everyday things, powered by IoT Pixels. Ramesh, thanks so much for joining us on the Mr. Beacon uh, podcast. We're here today to talk about uh, accountable digital identity and the ADI association that you are a co-founder of. Uh, thanks very much for, for joining us on the show. Sure. Thank you so much for inviting me. Uh, let's start off. Uh, we can talk about why this is important in a little bit. Uh, I mean, and, and let, let me summarize to say a number of us in the IoT community are creating services uh, which will mean that more and more of what we do is online. We're connecting everything to the internet, and that implies more accounts that people are signing up for. Uh, and we all know that that process is somewhat painful uh, and risky. There's a huge amount of identity theft going on. So how do we overcome that problem? I believe that there's 
fundamental changes needed to make to streamline it to make it more secure and so i was excited to hear about accountable digital identity as a potential solution to some of these friction points uh, you know how many accounts can we reasonably have if each one is is separated uh, is it uh, 50 100 1000 2000 there are limits so adi i think is important uh, I think it's a really interesting topic. It takes a bit of thinking. Let's maybe start off with you uh, talking a bit about what ADI is at a high level. We'll probably revisit it. Then we can talk about why it's needed and then how it works. But what is ADI? So actually, that is a good uh, context that you set initially about IoT and identity. ADI is about bringing accountability to the digital world. Not just digital world, what we are doing here can also be used in the real world. A simple example could be, when you walk into Wells Fargo Bank, if you want to open an account, they ask you to give you three pieces of, two pieces of photo identities. Those photo identities uh, uh, can be uh, uh, anything actually. Uh, and they also probably will ask you, if you are, say you are applying for a loan, they will ask you what's your employment and give me your employment letter. It is not difficult to type an employment letter that I'm working for, you know, XYZ company tomorrow. It's not. I can just download their logo from the web and put a employment letter that I'm working there and I ask my Steve, friend Steve to sign it for it and give Steve's number that if we have questions, please call Steve. You know, hmm. from, from the bank standpoint, Data responsibility from regulation standpoint is I just need to take copies of this and file it and open the account. Mm -hmm. They are not; they don't have means today to efficiently and quickly check if the documents that are provided are accurate or not. A driver's license can be fake today. I can get mm -hmm. a driver's license that is fake. Mm -hmm. I can create a photo identity with my name and, uh, and your picture on that. Mm -hmm. You know. It, Anything and everything that we are saying, there has to be a way to for us to quickly check. You know, it's not like we are going to have these relationships and then go to open a Wells Fargo bank account. You won't go there for four to six months, try to understand, tell her, and then make friendship. That way, they will know you and then open an account. It's a one-time transaction. You go and open an account, get out. In that one 15 minutes you are there, they must understand every information that you are providing is accurate and it is verifiable. Yes. It's just not there today. And similarly, when somebody tells you they went to, I mean, recently you have seen the Yahoo CEO educational qualifications scandal that happened and then he was let go. And when people say that I went to Stanford to finish a college degree or something, how do you know he actually went? Is it LinkedIn the right way to go check it? I can write on LinkedIn whatever I want. So there needs to be a way for us to be. So what ADI is trying to do is actually provide a framework for a strong digital identity where when somebody says something, you can check it. If there is a fraud, you will be able to, you know, find out who that person is. And then you can hold him accountable for. So... We are trying to bring accountability to the digital world. And what we are doing there can also be used in the real world to increase the trust and efficiency and accountability. So 
success in what you're doing uh, means there's going to be less fraud, uh, less identity theft, and presumably the process of using this strong digital identity becomes easier. So if I have a uh, hundred, a thousand different accounts, if I have a digital relationship going forward with the company that I buy herbs and spices from, as well as uh, who I get my electricity and gas from, then I need, the whole thing needs to be streamlined. And part of that is making sure it's secure. Um, was there kind of a what was the catalyst that persuaded you that the status quo was not acceptable? So, as you probably know, or you may not know, that I founded Fido Alliance before this. Mm -hmm. Fido Alliance was all, all about how do you make sure uh, online authentication done more securely, more easily. Fido Alliance today is an international standard Fido protocol. And it's there in all the operating systems and all, all the browsers. So what we tried to do there was how to fix the authentication online. Like you mm -hmm. just mentioned, yeah, on average, people have about 100 to 150,000 accounts, 150 account, 100 to 150 accounts, online accounts. Mm -hmm. And we probably use two to three uh, passwords for and recycle all of them there. Like you were mentioning, you are buying herbs uh, uh, from somebody and you're also buying... Uh, uh, you know, online, online uh, accessing Wells Fargo account. If those passwords happen to be the same, and Wells Fargo has a different risk profile than Herbs. And if yes. Herbs, your password is compromised on Herbs, you are compromised on Wells Fargo. Yes. So the root problem here is the password. So that's the approach that we took when we tried to fix the authentication problem. If you take out the password, then you have nothing to, you know, hack into. That's what yes. Fido does. So now, that's a pretty well-established uh, standard. Can you name some of the entities that are part of Fido that are actually implementing it, just to give people a sense oh, of that, that Apple, piece? Microsoft, Google, MasterCard, Visa, Discover, American Express, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, RSA, IDEMIA, Fido. <laughs> They're close to about 260 companies in the, in the, in the, in the alliance. There is not and, one and, company that is branded is not part of uh, FIDO Alliance today. And, and part of FIDO is kind of eliminating the password as a way of authenticating with a, a single service provider. So ADI is about kind of identity across multiple across. service providers. Exactly. Uh, but the FIDO thing, which is kind of, that's settled, that's done, that's dusted, there's huge momentum around it. Uh, but just to finish off so that people can move past FIDO, having a feeling that they understand it, how can I log in if I don't have a password? That's very good. That's exactly the same question first time when I talked about FIDO to people eight, nine mm -hmm. years ago. Now, how do you log into the system if you don't have a password? So what we do is we actually establish a cryptographic relationship between the device that you're using and the service that you're uh, meaning to access to. And then you are establishing your identity and account credentials through your phone that are bound to your biometric credentials, your, like your facial recognition, and, mm -hmm. and your biometrics without actually sending any of your biometric data to the server. So what you do is you tell your de device bio I mean, biometrically who you are and that phone already knows you. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Now you will tell your phone, hey, here is the service that I use and here is my account there. But earlier I was using password. Now put me on FIDO. When I say put me on FIDO, your device actually creates a relationship with the backend server or service that you're using. And then it will say, it will share a cryptographic, uh, um, it, it happens on public key, private key infrastructure. It creates mm-hmm. a specific key, cryptographic key for that particular service. And that such key is what gets sent to the service. And the corresponding private key actually is stored on the device and your biometrics are uh, bound to that. Uh, uh, that key only gets released when you authenticate yourself biometrically on your local device. Once you do mm-hmm. that, there is a something called challenge response that happens between the server and your device where they use those keys that you shared to exchange uh, the cryptographic challenge and response. That is how you prove yourself to the server. I am Steve. I am Ramesh. So what you do is you prove to your device that I am Ramesh and device then will prove to the service, yeah, I am coming from Ramesh. That is done completely cryptographically. There are no shared secrets. There are no passwords after that anymore. And each time the challenge response goes back and forth, each time it is different. So if anybody listening in between, each time they will listen something else. So there is no way they can actually keep track and you know do some kind of dictionary attacks or replay attacks on that. So ADI builds on FIDO. Do you have to be using FIDO to, uh, to use ADI? Um, to make it bulletproof stronger, we encourage that FIDO to be used because FIDO is what brings the human binding into the account. I mean, obviously, you can use other methods of authentication, but none of them have human binding to it. Currently, Mm -hmm. the authentication processes happen. There is some implicit authentication. There is explicit authentication. Implicit authentication is primarily trying to understand which network you are coming from, which device you are coming from, what is your behavioral patterns, what are your movement Mm -hmm. patterns, what is your GPS Mm -hmm. location. Those things I'm trying to gauge you without actually knowing who you are. But when you put your user ID password, I know who you are. But most of the websites, without even actually providing your user ID password, they already know who you are. Yes. Because of the other reasons, other signals that they see. So So let's... But none of them have human binding. The same things, behavioral thing, at home, if you and your son, if your son is using your phone, backend service won't know that it is not you, it is your son. It won't know. Mm -hmm. So this is where FIDO comes in and brings that brings in that additional human binding. That is, see, conventionally, Steve, for the last 40, 45 years, the internet infrastructure and online infrastructure has evolved as account-oriented infrastructure, mm-hmm. a credential-oriented infrastructure. There is no tie-in back with human. So if I take your account credentials and log in, I become you. So we never cared about actually binding that account with the user. That's what FIDO does. Right. So FIDO gives us this multi-factor authentication. Uh, It's it's kind of a stronger way of authenticating yourself with a single service provider. Yeah. 
So job well done. You've got eBay, you've got Amazon, you've got Apple uh, adopting that standard. What was the problem that kind of spurred you on to go beyond FIDO to ADI? In 2019, when there were a lot of attacks that happened on uh, Equifax and uh, uh, few other attacks online and World Bank was trying to deal with uh, uh, identity problem and there are many institutions who have been trying to fix this identity problem and uh, they approached FIDO Alliance to, to see if uh, you know we can actually FIDO can actually define an identity framework but yes. FIDO is laser focused on fixing authentication they are not mm -hmm. about identity although we are Looking into KYC process, etc. Now, and we also have, by the way, FIDO for IoT. That that's an, another thing that that's happening there. Mm -hmm. But we were not necessarily focusing on identity. So now, at the time when looking at the dynamics of what's happening, I thought digital identity is a very interesting thing that needs to be fixed. Like I was always mentioning, FIDO fixes the authentication of an account, but mm -hmm. it doesn't attach an account with you know, bring a human factor into that with respect to human identity. That's not there. So that's when I thought, uh, uh, you know, it's 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 uh, uh, a very interesting problem. And uh, more and more, our lives are becoming digital. We don't have real world like the way that we know real world. In the earlier when you and I were looking for jobs, there is no way that you can get a job without actually going physically and taking an interview. Mm -hmm. Here now, you are hiring people whom you never probably would never meet. But the world has changed. The world has changed. And, yes. and the digital world, somehow, we evolved that as a separate kind of a world, not having a parallel to the digital world, in the real world. In the real world, you know, if you need to do something, only you can do it. You can't send somebody else on your behalf and do it. In the digital world, somebody can steal your account credentials and they can become you. That's what is happening with all this hacking and all that stuff that's happening today. So now we have evolved the, we have come too far, which is good for us. Where That's why, you know, the information connectivity have improved quite a bit. But it's now time for us to go back and see what is causing all the problems that we're having today with respect to identity fraud. More than identity fraud, the new thing, that new phenomena that has happened, which is actually disturbing the human dynamics. That's why I was mentioning earlier, we still have good people more in this country than the bad people. It's not still a jungle world, but we are getting there, I said. By that, what I mean is disinformation misinformation, yes. getting yes. people, you know, against each other, putting mm -hmm. bad information, wrong information. People are doing that because there is no accountability. Yes. In the real yeah, if you're world, anonymous, then you can say whatever you like. But if your identity is associated with this, then you have accountability. You start yeah. telling lies, then you can be held for, for liable. So, yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to flog a dead horse, but Tell me, so really, what is the difference between identity and authentication? What is identity from your perspective? Identity is about actually establishing who you are. And that right. is bound to a person. Not as a credential, not as a person. Mm 
a, a online account, if you share the credentials with somebody else, then that somebody can be you. What, so what are the attributes of identity then? Uh... Identity is about having a, a representation. It's almost like a identity in the real world is birth certificate for you. Mm-hmm. And we don't have anything like that in the digital world today. Right. When you were born, your identity was created for you by somebody else. It's not something that you created. Right. When, so what does identity what does my identity look like in this ADI world? Uh, is, can you simplify it from that perspective? So on obviously on the digital world, if we want to be secure, and if we want to uh, be real, that is identity oriented. In the digital world, everything is ones and zeros, as you know. So how do you create a cryptographic representation of you using some of the attributes that are unique to you? Mm-hmm. So it's like your first name, last name, middle name, your date of birth, maybe your social security number. There are enough attributes of you that only you own them, that, that represent you. Nobody doesn't represent anybody else. So making sure there is a cryptographic representation of you created out of those unique attributes which can only be claimed by you, mm-hmm. that is created only for you, and that can only be delivered to you, which we call digital address. Okay. And what does that digital address look like? Is it like an email address or something? It is like an email address without dot something. It is like John Doe at a service which is offering this digital address service. It is in the format of John Doe at, for instance, my company is called Digital Trust Networks. Our product Mm -hmm. is called DTX. So it will be like if you get a, a thing, you can name whatever you want. We don't want you to use actually for privacy purposes. We don't want you to use the name Steve. Use something else. San Diego, okay. great. San Diego, okay. great. <laughs> or Riverside Beacon or whatever that you want to give that yeah. user friendly name that you want. But it will be at the rate DTX if DTX happens to be the platform. Uh, so I have this uh, 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 name uh, s- separated by some uh, some dots at DTX, yes, uh, and and that lives with me, and I use it for everything, right? Uh, or do is, I have multiple? Yes, that is the. It's it's like in the real world. It's only one you. When you talk to Wells Fargo Bank, you have a different context. When you go to Stanford facility, medical facility, you have a different context, but it is same you. Okay. You don't go to Stanford and say, give me money. You don't go to Wells Fargo and tell me, give me vaccine. Right. So, and, and so this identifier is something that, uh, how does that relate to my uh, social security number, my driver's license number, things like that? So when we try to create your digital, the cryptographic representation of you initially, we use that information and then do a single one-way hash. We don't keep any of your personal We don't want to know you. We want to actually create a cryptographic representation of you. Mm-hmm. And that cryptographic representation of you can be created by the trusted sources that you already know who you are. Your mm-hmm. company that you are working for you, for you are working for, knows who you are. 
Otherwise, they won't put mm-hmm. you on the payroll. Yes. The student, if you are a student, the university that you are going to regularly, they know who you are. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they won't enroll you. So they have enough information about you. Your bank has information about you. Your uh, um, um, medical facilities and your physician, all these people know who exactly you are. Your driver's DMV knows who you are. The sources where they know who you are, any one of them will be able to bootstrap and create that digital representation of you. That is created from your attribute that only can be created for you. That can't be created for me. Once that is created, it gets delivered to you. When it gets delivered to you, you bind it with your FIDO to the back-end service. That way, there will be human binding. It is not only created by right set of people, right set of way. It is delivered to you in right set of way through a trusted channel. Then you enroll yourself with that key. This is my birth. It's almost like when you were born, you have the birth certificate. You go to elementary school and show that birth certificate and say, create an elementary school identity for me. It's exactly the same. Your, your cryptographic representation is created. You bind it and you become part of this ADA citizenship. Once you become part of ADA ecosystem, you use that cryptographic representation and say, this is, my, this is me. Give me my employee credential. Give me my student credential. Give me my student diploma. Give me my bank account. Give me my, you know, everything that belongs to you, driver's license, passport, now can be delivered to that particular cryptographic representation. So we've got sort of in, in our data model, we've got users that have uh, identity, citizens that have identities. Um, and then we have these trusted providers of identity, the DV- DMV, the, uh, uh, the passport authorities, your employer. What, what, how would you describe them in your data model? What's the buzzword that you use to describe we, them? We call them trusted issuers. Trusted issuers. Okay. And uh, um, the people who want to verify them, we call service providers. And in some cases, your issuer may also be a service provider. Yes. So the service provider might be an online store or someone that wants to know who you are, presumably. Yes. It's so, like, uh, let's say you are going to, you just moved into this country, you want to create an account with Amazon. Yes. Today, you can put any name and create anything that you want. If Amazon yes. wants to be good, they want to know about you as a vendor who is selling stuff on Amazon. Mm-hmm. They can say, can prove that you are actually Steve. Yeah. When you say, then they say, prove that you are actually Steve, then you can say, here is my driver's license, go check it. Yes. So how does this world look different? Uh, Fast forward, uh, and you've got as far with ADI as you uh, have with FIDO. What does that process look like where someone, say someone is uh, trying to steal my identity on Amazon, I have this... uh, a digital identity, and they're trying to impersonate me and buy a whole bunch of stuff uh, using my identity or, or to apply for a credit card or something, use my identity. How do you stop that bad stuff happening in this new paradigm? So there is always a other side of the story who is actually providing the service. Let's say I'm trying to create an account for you using your names. In this ecosystem, when I go to Amazon or when I go to Chase Bank to apply for a credit card, 
assuming that they all embrace ADI. If I put Steve Stapp in your name and then your social security mm-hmm. number, somehow I was able to catch hold of that. When they put it, the register button or apply button, before that, there will be one more button, which is called prove your Steve. Mm-hmm. When you say prove your Steve, you have to talk to and say, here is my credential, whatever. Mm-hmm. Anytime and every time something somebody claims that comes to your interchange or your cryptographic key, there gets a notification for you. Hey, somebody is trying to access this information. Do you approve that? Mm-hmm. So as long as that key they are using, the notification comes to you. If Ramesh is trying to steal your stuff, you get a notification on your phone. You are applying for a Chase bank account. Would you like to approve it? Then you'll mm-hmm. say, I, I'm not doing this. Mm-hmm. I never applied. You hit the no button, the thing will be declared. Okay. So there so is always any time, any time, anybody who uses anything in this ecosystem, you always get a notification saying, somebody is trying to do this, would you approve it? That makes sense. So I, I, I get a way of uh, being notified every time someone's claims that they are me. And so that way I can de- defeat uh, identity theft. Um, what are the, you know, what are the options? Uh, what does this look like from a service provider's perspective? I mean, they, uh, you have uh, people like uh, uh, Amazon and Facebook, and uh, they probably want to be the source of identity that we all use. Is that, uh, uh, are they essentially the competition for what you're doing? Actually, every one of them wanted to be a, want to be an identity provider. But the problem yeah. is, you have to create an ecosystem where the consumer wants the identity, not these entities and big corporations. The um, and they have to have right kind of security and privacy models, and that you consumer is comfortable with. Mm-hmm. You know. I wouldn't be comfortable using login with Facebook for my free help. Wells Fargo will never be successful. I mean, sorry for using specific names. A financial institution will never be comfortable using a social network's login with social network. Not going to happen. Right. You know? And probably me as a user, I um, may have a few concerns about giving Facebook or even more information about what I uh, what I do. So yeah. uh, I can see why I would want a... Uh, disinterested party uh, that, uh, that is this, the, the way of proving my identity. That makes sense. Yeah, the thing is, for if, if you want to really do identity correctly, there needs to be interoperability. It cannot be owned by one entity, one network, one company. It has to be a neutral mm-hmm. place. Mm-hmm. There has to be, like today, a simple chat sessions. A Skype ID cannot talk to a, um, you know, a Google chat ID. A Google chat ID cannot talk to a FaceTime ID. Every one of them is silo. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if you if you are on AT&T and if I am on Verizon, if to need to talk to you, I don't have to be also on the AT&T. I can be on Verizon and I'm able to talk to you. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. 
Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. So what is the difference between what we're describing here and single sign-on? There's a lot of uh, players that are competing to be the single sign-on uh, providers. of. Choice. We are not necessarily in the single sign-on um, uh, kind of a business. Um, this will actually add value to all those single sign-on mechanisms where, mm-hmm. again, like I was mentioning earlier, those were all account-oriented infrastructure. If, if you were mm-hmm. first, that's where FIDO adds a lot of value. If your first mile is compromised, everything else is compromised. Mm-hmm. See, if, if a single sign-on, if I'm able to log into one of my services in an enterprise, if everything else is single sign-on, if first mile is broken, I have access to every 25 other services that are out there. Mm-hmm. And the single sign-on came into picture because, and SAMLs came into picture because the enterprise don't want to ask user each time to put user ID password. That's convenience and friction, inconvenience and friction, etc. That's what pushed the federations in the SAMLs and investing. This is where FIDO comes into picture. Each time when you want to go to single sign-on, access on more service, you don't have to ask the user to put user ID password again anywhere. If it is just FIDO, a single gesture will reduce the friction and increase the security. That's where FIDO is extremely effective. If you are using an SSO or if you are using a federation kind of a model, just don't allow the first guy, I mean, the guy who already crossed the first mile, let him not go into your locker and your kitchen and your, you know, all the other places. Mm-hmm. When he's going there, again, if you have a security guard asking something and complicated stuff, that's user friction. People walk away. If it is just saying a gesture, hi, kind of a thing, then there won't be any problem. See, historically, mm-hmm. we have added more and more layers to make things more security at the expense of user behavior. FIDO is the first protocol which came back and said, I'm going to increase your security and guess what? I'm going to make it extremely easy. 
That's right. the positive protocol. As opposed to the opposite. Normally, more security means uh, uh, incredibly long passwords that change constantly and uh, exactly. all of that stuff, which means that you the, end up... Uh, yeah. yeah. No, what we are trying to do is not that. We are actually... ADI is about your identity and your personal data. It's not about services. It's your personal data. It's your identity. And you, when you go to Paris, they'll ask your passport. You drop a passport copy there. Then Paris, you fly to London, check into a hotel, you'll give your cap, cap, copy of passport again there. Do you know mm -hmm. where they are storing? If they are storing properly, or if they are storing safely, are they stay sharing? How do you know whether they're being careful or not? We are spreading our personal information everywhere. Yesterday, I went to a COVID test because I'm flying to uh, Korea tomorrow on Saturday. Mm -hmm. There are three different sites where they have to give me personal information. One is Santa Clara County, where they asked me to book an appointment. After that, they drove me to a, a testing site where there is a testing facility, a testing lab. Again, they had to give them all my personal information. And after the test is done, it went to a different state database. And I had to put my name again there to get my report. So just between yesterday and today, I gave my first name, last name, middle name, phone number, and date of birth, four different places. Yes, I, 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 so that's a very important point. So in this uh, new uh, approach, then I'm not having to hand out my social security number to so many institutions. I'm, I'm really Just give uh, avoiding them the digital that. address. Just to give them the yes. digital address. I'll tell you one more example. Recently, there was a... Two weeks ago, there was an article. One of the Amazon vendors actually didn't like the review that a consumer wrote, and he actually went and beat, beat her up. He, this happened actually two weeks ago. There are only five people, Steve, who five to six people who need to know your physical address. FedEx, UPS, USPS, DHL, name one more. These are the people who need to know your physical address. Every, nobody else needs to know because they are the people who are physically coming and delivering stuff to you. If you're yeah. ordering some stuff to somebody from a vague guy that you don't know on eBay, why do you have to give your physical address, home address? Uh, Just to put it... So how would, that, how would that work? So I'm going onto eBay. I no longer give my address. How do I get the uh, um, second-hand pair of uh, stereo headphones that I bought from someone in Let's uh, assume that you Alabama. registered... Let's assume that you registered on a digital address. You have a digital address and you are going to go... Only place you are going to put your physical address these five locations, I told you. Okay. And, uh, so I'm saying, basically, I, I buy the headphones and then I say, this is my digital identity. I want you to use FedEx. Tell them what my identity is and they'll get it uh, yes. to me. You don't need to know. Yes. Right. Okay. All, even for all those five people, you don't have to go and actually give them. They should, that those are the only people you should disclose your information to. When they say, hey, Steve, I'm delivering some stuff to you tomorrow. Give me the, till that point, you can just give your PIN code and the city. That's all you need to give. Yes. When yeah. they're ready to come, you say, here is my full data. Come and give it to me. I see. So um, uh, back into the alphabet soup. Um, how does this relate to OAuth, another uh, one of these related standards? Uh, um, OAuth is about 
again authorization and open id connect about is about you know sso kind of uh, uh, attribute uh, transport protocol uh, transportation we okay. could use open id connect uh, in in our back end right now we are using something called ditcom and uh, um, clearly we can actually integrate on the back end with oauth and uh, open id connect okay uh, to be able to go to different data sources that are out there. You see, right now, what we do in our architecture is, you go and create your digital address and connect to that service that is offering your digital address. And everything else is links to your personal data, wherever that is, your university diploma, your medical record, your financial account. It is just a, a link going back to those sources. The way we actually go get the data from the sources is using something called we call DITCOM. There we can use OpenID. Okay. So we, we are not necessarily uh, you know, uh, competitive or anything. I mean, you can implement some of the stuff that we are doing using them also, but we can actually mm -hmm. embrace them also in our stuff. Okay. And um, are you using distributed ledger technology? Anything yes, we are like using that? it. Uh, distributed ledger. Right now, we are using uh, uh, Hyperledger, and we have uh, we have our own ledger also called Omni One. Uh, yes, we are using. Uh, this is all based on blockchain. And and what do you? Why do you need blockchain? What does that bring to this uh, that you wouldn't have otherwise? So the blockchain provides the, naturally the immutability. And this is a multi-source of multi. Uh, it's a place of multi-sourced uh, truth, multi-point truth. You know, when when you're doing business where varying parties are coming together, you don't want to just depend on what one person says. It's it's a consensus-based algorithm that you know gets written into uh, the DLTs. And if you're trying to do something, um, you can actually like for instance, if 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 you are a supply chain application. Same data now resides, same identity data and personal data remains in 10 different places. Let's consider a simple thing called your, your, your uh, 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 travel ticket. Once it is booked, it gets emailed to you. It's in another database too, in addition to that database where it is. You know, there are multiple places that actually have to come together and synchronize. In the DLT model, you don't have to do all that stuff. It's one place, one plus publishers, all the nodes get the same time. It's a multi-people sharing the same source of truth. It's not like, okay, Ramesh, Ramesh has this in this database, there's something else in this database. You don't have those kind of problems with this. And most importantly, when you're actually doing this uh, identity correctly, identity has to operate across the networks. When you're operating across the networks, you have to have value settlements. If you want to do value settlement at micro level, a crypto-based economy and a DLT-based economy is always better. And also, mm -hmm. when you try to do it internationally, it is better to have a, a, a tokenized kind of economy based on these ledgers than a fiat currency. So what about the entity at the center of that? Uh, so you, you're, uh, as well as uh, leading this new standard, you are CEO of Digital, Digital Trust Networks. And, and they're one of uh, potentially, it, will this be the only company at the center of this uh, no, type system? No, what's, no, no. what's the role of, uh, of your company in this? 
just like what i did earlier with fido and knock knock labs fido is a standards development body organization knock knock labs was the first implementer mm-hmm. and fido now has lot of implementers Similarly, ADI is a standardization body. They are advancing the specification. We just published a specification, announced it during HIMSS last week, where mm-hmm. we announced the specification availability for review, pilots from CVS, and commercial uh, availability of the product from Digital Trust Networks. And we certainly see there will be competition from for what we are trying to do. When we want the competition, we, we won't be able to address every market. Then you have healthcare market, you have finance market, you have uh, you have educational market, uh, you have government segment, you have you know many many segments are there. A digital trust networks is a startup company. We won't be able to actually. I mean, that is a misnomer. Like when 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 we talk about you know some big company wants to be the identity provider, there is never going to be one identity provider. There will be multiple. I wish there is only one AT and T for entire country. It's not, you know. But but to be clear, DTN is uh, what what what's the the name of that entity in this in this schema? You're you're not an are you an identity provider or something else? It's a broker. I one of them. We call it in the ADI uh, nomenclature. We call interchange ADI interchange service. Okay, so will I be able to switch from one service to another? I mean, I, is it going to be like banks where, uh, you know, it's it's easier to get divorced from your wife or your husband than it is to switch banks. People do it more often in in America. They uh, divorce more often than they <laughs> no, do switching is, banks. Is that going to be the same with uh, my relationship with... Uh, no, there is a process. Uh, there is a process. You can say, I'm going to move from this interchange to a different interchange. There is a process that you submit. To the new interchange and the old interchange, they handshake and your data gets your pointers get transmitted. You're ready to go. So it's and, a bit like uh, porting my phone number from AT and T to uh, to exactly, uh, T Mobile. It's, exactly. Okay. Okay. And this this, you, this thing that we define actually at the international level. So once you have the digital address, you can actually uh, if you are trying to recruit somebody in the Philippines tomorrow. And if they come back and say, when I did my PhD from University of Philippines, all you need to do is give me the digital address. And you can actually ping the university directly and check if you really went there or not. That's the power of what we're trying to do. And in the process, by the way, I forgot to mention, University of Philippines actually, I mean, University of Philippines actually get paid for that service. Oh, interesting. Okay. So, yeah, what does all this cost? That's a good... <laughs> I didn't yes. ask that question before so when we first... Provider, service provider will pay. The person who is verifying, like, for instance, if you got a COVID credential, if Levi's Stadium, you are going to in a football match, mm-hmm. when they want to verify if you have got the vaccine or not, they mm-hmm. actually pay for that service. And how much do they pay? It could be a few cents. Okay, so not a lot, but uh, I mean, depends on make the value. it up on volume. Yeah, depends on the value, and it depends on how much you can tax. At the end of the day, consumer pays. He doesn't know he's, he pays. Yes, he wants yeah. software free, but he doesn't know behind the walls what happens. Right. He wants the app yeah. free, but when yes. he walks into uh, uh, Levi Stadium, he did not know that the usual thirty dollars ticket is now thirty one dollars. 
And, you know, so why would they pay? Why would the stadium uh, pay that money versus uh, use another method? (coughs) Because right now, let's say one of the problems that we're having with respect to giving a specific example of COVID credential, for instance, Mm -hmm. you need to make sure, first thing, the certificate or credential that is shown is real. You need to understand the that the entity that issued is real and is trustworthy. You need to make sure that certificate is issued to the right person. It's not like they used my blood test and put your name on that. Or I took yeah. the vaccine and put they put your name. Mm-hmm. And you need to make sure that certificate is delivered to the right person. Fifth thing, you need to make sure the person who is presenting it actually is the person who owns that. Mm-hmm. If you need to make sure all five of these, if you really are serious about making sure people with, without vaccine will get into a large crowd, you have to make sure you are doing the genuine check. Yeah. And yeah. like I was mentioning the Wells Fargo example I gave you, if the, the idea is to just to file those things and then put it, yeah, you can open an account. Who knows if I went to Wells Fargo Bank, if I pro- provided your credentials and gave my picture and then opened an account there. That's the identity fraud you were mentioning about. So I think, to me, this seems like an excellent idea. Less less fraud, streamlined processes. Um, uh, th- there's benefits to all of the players in the ecosystem that you outlined. Um but I think the the challenge for any of these things, and I'm sure you saw it with Fido, is you know getting this thing going. You know what gives you confidence that this will uh, take off, that uh, that people should invest their time into into this. Uh, there is a the moment, like why? for instance, Fido was started around 2012 in the real manner. Although I started evangelizing in 2010, there is always time and the timing and the the, the tailwind that happens. If you see, last six months, the amount of money that was pumped into passwordless authentication, the amount of money the people who are in the FIDO got funded, is, it's, it's not funny. It's, it's like tremendous amount of money. Mm-hmm. In the identity space, it is happening now. People are realizing it. They are realizing mm-hmm. it because we have lost the touch with the real world because there is no real world anymore. I haven't gone, you know, my, and the entire last year, my daughter didn't go to school at all. It's all online. So we we are get, we got to a place where our digital world is our real world. Mm-hmm. When you use a telehealth, doctor should know that he's treating the right patient. Otherwise, I can sit there and get the medication for you. And I should know the doctor has the right credential then you have to do that without breaching the privacy, without disclosing too much information. So there is, we have taken considerations into the privacy, security, trust, and accountability altogether. You and I won't go stand on Montague Expressway, start shouting obscenities, because first guy might ignore us, second guy might ignore us, third guy will definitely call cops and you will be held accountable. That's why we don't do it. Digital world, we don't have that. And, and and last thing when I want to mention in the same tone is even the IOTs that you guys, that the, 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 the plugin that you set the context, 
My Tesla car is an IoT device, as you know. Mm-hmm. It's not about the car belongs to me. There is a identity behind that. I don't want somebody else stealing my car and driving away. Every mm-hmm. IoT device, IoT device is not an orphan. There is an ownership to it. Even if it's a shared device that a, a doctor treats multiple patients, doctor is the owner of the device. So what is the kind of the tipping point where you see the kind of the viral effects? You, you start off with any of these things and you're evangelizing, you're finding some of the big players. You've got CVS uh, engaged, investing in this. Uh, so, um, but how do you think this plays out? You kind of have to work hard in the uh, uh, first uh, few years to get this established. When does it become easy? What's that tipping point that you're looking forward to? Well, this has to start like big players in a closed ecosystem first. You know, and then we need to identify, like healthcare is one of the things that we know is needed for this kind of a system. Like for instance, Healthcare is in one place. Healthcare is one place where there is a multi sources of truth. Insurance company pays to your diagnostics lab, your blood test lab, your medical facility, your physician, your radial. He is the one who pays to all of them. And he is the one who has to access to have all the information. And the physician has to have information to your insurance data, is your blood test, is your. Everybody needs to have access to everybody else. <laughs> And that has to be happening in a clear, definitive way. You know how many, you know, people get uh, either, you know, wrongly diagnosed and given wrong medication because of the identity issue. I hate to think. I hate to think. I wasn't worried about that before, and now I am. So <laughs> I'm assuming it's significant. Yes. The, the thing is that there, there was there was a case where there were two people, one in Florida, one in New York. They have the same last name, first name. One is an older lady, one is an egg kid. One had cancer, other one had some other thing. The things got switched, and then actually an elderly woman passed away. See, the, the patient's so I, identity is a huge problem in the healthcare. Medicare, yes. Medicaid is a huge problem. You know, so this has to start in closed ecosystems where there is a multi-party dependency and source of truth that is required. Shared source yes. of truth, I must tell you. Yes. Shared source of truth. Let's consider Wells Fargo Bank. Wells Fargo Bank has probably 15 different services for consumers. They'll give you a bank loan, they'll give you equity loan, they'll give you open account, they'll do this, they'll do 20. Uh, there is a investment uh, equity um, um, arm that they would want to deal with you. When you call somebody, what is the right hand is doing, what left hand does not know. I mean, if you happen to have 10 million investment somewhere, the consumer bank guy probably won't give a shit about you because he doesn't know you have 10 million in the bank in the equity side, you know. This provides a, a, a multi-party and they have to maintain your identity in 10 different places, unfortunately. So this brings those things together. It provides a common source of truth, shared source of truth, a supply chain functionality. Intel probably deals with, on a motherboard, probably they'll deal with 90 different chipset, chipsets and each one of them will have 10 different uh, vendors. 
So they probably, for a for single motherboard, they probably will have to deal with 900 companies. And you need to, a ODM needs to bring these things together. And if this guy loads the stock there, and if it has to come to the other side and it takes, you know, two days for databases to synchronize, nightmare. Now, so you can see, you can see how this would evolve. It's a little bit like Jeffrey Moore crossing the chasm, the bowling pin. You can see this. Um, maybe one of those bowling pins is uh, healthcare and integrating identity for multiple providers, and then that starts to build the momentum. And then maybe uh, some adjacent services decide that. Uh, uh, they uh, uh, so maybe it starts off with hospitals and then with pharmacies and then from pharmacies you can imagine it going to other retail and then eventually uh, the the ball starts rolling and yeah. uh, then it uh, you can see expanding very very quickly. Just opiate crisis alone, you will go to Florida and then say your pain level is nine. They give you medication. Next, you walk to Alabama and say your pain medication your pain is nine. They'll give you opiate again. That's what we we dealt with. Opiate yes. crisis was billions of dollars lost and people's debt. You know, in this scenario... That is uh, a great example. Great example. So in this scenario, you know, a simple... If you say that anybody who wants sub control substance, they must use digital address. So I go to Florida doctor and give my digital address. He'll give me medication. I go to Alabama. I give you... I give him my digital address. Boom. That will show how many I just took the medications in Florida. A 60 of them. He'll say, no, I can't do this now. I can't give you medication now. That's what Alabama guy will say. So and what stops me having multiple digital uh, identities then uh, in, in that case? You, the way that you be, will be brought on to the ecosystem and we, we will allow you. you for instance, if you have two uh, dual citizenships, you will be able to yes. create one digital address in, in, in London, one here. Yes. It's up to you. But you will still be held accountable on both sides because whether you use that digital address, this digital address, we know who bootstrapped you to bring you on board. I see. Okay. Well, that's good to know, as I do have an American passport and a British passport, so I, I, don't, I don't get to escape this uh, one source of truth. So, Ramesh, we have this uh, strange tradition here on the show. We ask our guests about uh, the music that is uh, meaningful to them, uh, three songs. Uh, did you have a chance to think about that? Do you have three songs that uh, mean yeah, something Yeah, well, unfortunately, all my songs are local language, Indian language. Well, that's and, good. Uh, we need to change from Queen and Simon and Garfunkel. So uh, yeah. I'd love to hear a bit about what's, uh, what has meaning to you. So one of that was, uh, uh, is uh, a slightly devotional uh, kind of thing. It is actually not a song, but it is a, uh, it is a Sanskrit uh, hymns with translation, uh, which is supposed to be... Uh, the message that Lord Krishna gave to Arjuna when Arjuna was uh, uh, getting nervous and cold feet about the fight. Mm -hmm. So that brings you back to the earth and you know tells you what's important in your life. 
you know, um, it's I would say it is like Bible. There's not it's no different than what Bible says some good stuff. But you know, um, this brings a different perspective. Usually, it's a very powerful message that's there in that uh, uh, in the in those hymns that Krishna says to Arjuna. And uh, that's that. Those are the things that I usually uh, listen to quite a bit. When do you? When would you listen to something like that? So there is actually uh, a, a different context to it, which is uh, um, this. This was sung by one of our fav, you know famous singers called Gantasala. Mm-hmm. and uh, this actually was uh, apparently is the last one that he recorded before he died. And oh, yes. uh, the song, the, the hymns and the recording talks about the meaning of life and life and death, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, in our culture, people in our language, they play that thing when somebody dies. Mm. And uh, But I always feel that uh, that is something you can listen to anytime. That actually is not a thing that you should put only during that somebody died and that kind of stuff. That's a very motivational thing if you, if you can try to understand the the inner meanings of life, you know, um, like, like uh, I, I know this is a, uh, this, this would be a story, but people say when Alexander the Great died and he wanted his both arms to be outside his coffin, I know it's a story, but mm-hmm. it, 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 people say, and uh, people, you know, the message that he was trying to give was, I conquered the world, but when I died, I'm dead, I'm going with empty hands. That was the message that Alexander was supposed to be giving. You know that that I know that that wasn't uh, practically possible, but people say that story whenever you know. So um, the Bhagavad Gita has some such deep meaning to life. Mm-hmm. So um, I myself went through a tragedy. My wife passed away in 2010. Before that, I used to be very, very, very religious guy. I used huh. to pray to God. I used to donate money to host, you know, the uh, temples and stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, when my wife passed away, I, I lost uh, uh, belief in God. Um, so uh, then I completely stopped going to temples, and I just uh-huh. I'm not religious anymore after that. After my wife passed away, however. This is something that I listen to, not as it is something that is related to God, Lord Krishna or anything. But at a human level, that's a good message. So that's that's why I always believe um, it is not about good or bad. It's about you being good. Nobody mm-hmm. needs to tell what is good, what is bad. I mean, you, should, mm-hmm. you should be with a reasonable you know, uh, behavior, you should be able to know what is good, what is bad. You know, the world is, uh, uh, fortunately, there are more good people than bad people. That's why there is still some sanity in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, otherwise, these things will go crazy. So from my standpoint, I listen to that quite a bit, uh, particularly after my wife passed away, while I stopped going to temples and don't believe that at all. Uh, uh-huh. um, uh, but I do listen to this, not as something that I feel like there is a God who gives something. But part of the reason I lost faith in God and belief in God was, I saw actually my wife uh, 
completely prepared uh, around 2000, uh, around June of 20, uh, June of 19th. Mm-hmm. After that, for about eight days, they artificially pumped everything into her body, her BP, her, uh, mm-hmm. her temperature. They are maintaining clinically for nine more days. Then I felt if a body can be kept alive clinically, that I can explain, that they are explaining me how they are doing it. So, yes. where is God in this whole picture? It's, uh, that, it's a very good question. Yeah, so that that actually, I, I was a heavy believer in God. I pray God every single morning. I used to go to temples, when, right from the childhood. God was everything for me. That nine days when I saw that, and one thing, my, my wife was also very, very sorry for dwelling on apostles of so much, but and my wife was even more religious than me. When the way stage four cancer in ICU, mm-hmm. the amount of sufferance that I, I saw, when I such a pure person with so much devotion to God, if he's going through that much, and then now I see nine days, she's artificially pumped from outside to be alive. Where is God? There is no God. It is just, you know, <laughs> so that changed my um, perspective on life. And uh, then when I, li- then after that, I often listen to this one when I'm alone. That's fascinating. And uh, I, thank you for sharing that. So I feel uh, privileged to, uh, to, to hear that. And has your, um, Obviously, the passing of your uh, your wife of many years is a, uh, a, th- a thing of great sorrow. Do you feel like, uh, but you've also lost this uh, kind of uh, spiritual uh, force. Uh, <laughs> um, how has the loss of that uh, impacted you on a day-to-day uh, basis? The relationship with God I'm talking about. Uh, no, I, I don't believe in God. The thing yeah. is, you know, um, I also, I mean, Culturally in India, we also believe that there is afterlife and mm-hmm. means that there is this heaven, hell. I don't believe in any of those. I, I, you know, from being an Indian, I should be believing all those things. You know, and, and I truly believe that uh, the humans have this brain that they can actually think and yeah. then rationally justify something. We are not animals. Where you know, the survival of the fittest. Although we are getting there, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, and and uh, otherwise this would have been jungle life too. That's why I was mentioning earlier. There are fortunately there are more good people in the world. That's great. I'm, that's I'm glad that you still think that. Uh, uh, that's of some comfort. So what uh, what about your second song? Second song again was related to my wife. Actually, this this was actually a uh, romantic song that uh, you know. I shouldn't say romantic, a melodious song with a lot of uh, love in it. That mm-hmm. that song was released when uh, you know uh, I was married. So that that used to touch me quite a bit whenever I listened. It's a Hindi song, so it it, it was from a movie called Fool Our Kanta. Uh, it's about love, life, marriage, and stuff. Um, that that actually you know whenever. I hear that song even today. I remember my wife. 
Well, unfortunately, because of some uh, intellectual property rights legislation in Europe, we can no longer have the music playing in the background as we have this conversation. Yeah. But if you could do us the favor of sending some YouTube pointers to these, then we'll include them in the notes of this podcast. I'd, I'd love Certainly. to listen to both of these. And, and so your third song? Third song also is, again, um, a, a um, family song. Uh, that, that actually deeply talks about, you know, um, husband and wife, you know, singing. And I give more importance to two things. One is it should be melodious and it should be meaningful. Mm-hmm. You know, this is another song where I felt there is a lot of meaning uh, to the relationship between husband and wife. Mm-hmm. So these are the good songs that I like. And unfortunately, I have a couple of more songs where that are related to some um, some unpleasant things in life. Oh, so really? Use, during those unpleasant things, like I saw my father actually um, struggling about something in, in tears. In my, my That was the only time I saw my father in tears. So when I saw tears in his face, there was a song playing on the background. Oh, really? What was that song? So, what was that song called? It's a Telugu song. And uh, um, it has actually no meaning or connection to that scene. It's just that I saw him and that's the song that was being played. So, whenever I hear that song, you know, I um, actually, I could, I can still see his face and tears in in his eyes. And that's the only time I saw him actually in tears. And uh, that song was, was actually a, a devotional song, nice song, but that brings a lot of sorrow to me. <laughs> yeah. He was a stoic character. He uh, didn't portray a lot of emotion normally, it sounds like. He actually, not weakness. He's a very, very, I saw him angry. <laughs> I saw him happy. Uh, I saw him uh, calm and sad, moody, but never a tear in his eye. Fascinating. Very good. Thank you for sharing that with us. I really, uh, uh, it means a lot to me to, to, to hear about these songs. And we'll, uh, if you'll send us the pointers to them online, then we'll share it in, yeah. the, in the notes of the podcast. Sure, definitely. And like, like I mentioned, these songs are, are related to me personally. They are not just some nice songs that I like. These are, these the things have stories behind those two songs. <laughs> Absolutely. Very good. Well, I think it's hard to argue against truth. It's hard to argue against the many problems that you've outlined here. I, um, Ramesh, I really appreciate your um, spending time with us and helping us think uh, this through. I think uh, what you're doing is very important. Uh, I, I, I wish you success because I think with that success, we uh, get rid of a lot of fraud, a lot of inconvenience. Um, hopefully, we become a little bit more truthful ourselves in this environment and uh, so i think what you're doing is good work and uh, appreciate you spending some time with us i want to thank aaron hammock for his ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Let's work on uh, production. Uh, Jesse Hazelrig, our uh, producer. I want to thank you for, for listening. Please do like us, tell your friends about us, and please join us for the next time we meet up.